from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Hope you're doing well this morning, this Friday morning, the last Friday in March, hard to believe. It's crazy how we're already going into April, but at the same time, I feel like March was a long month because I started March. With March 3rd, Lawrence Milton's jersey gets retired. It's the final home game of the season, final regular season game for the Syracuse basketball team against Clemson. They get a win, and then a couple days later on Monday, I'm flying out to Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn all week long for the entire ACC tournament, covering all 15 schools, doing interviews, this, that, and the other, having the former SU players on and all of that, speaking and sitting down with the commissioner of the ACC, John Swafford. Then I come home for, I come home on Sunday, I leave on Tuesday to go to Dayton, Ohio for the first four where I had Syracuse predicted to play an 11 seed play-in game, went there, saw them play Arizona State, flew straight to Detroit, had Syracuse in Detroit, Little Caesars Arena, and St. Patrick's Day and everything going on, watched Syracuse take on TCU. And then Michigan State came home for four days, did four events in four days, then flew out again, went to Minneapolis from Syracuse, then to Des Moines, Iowa, drove to Omaha, Nebraska, because I couldn't get a flight to Omaha, Nebraska, then got to Omaha, covered the game, went into the locker room, spoke with the team after they lost the game, then went to bed at like 4 a.m., woke up, went back to the airport, all confused because they're an hour behind Eastern time in Omaha, then dropped off the rental car, got on the plane, went to Minneapolis, then to Albany, then slept there for the night. Then that Sunday morning, my wife and my dog came to pick me up, and then I went home, and that was this past Sunday. So yeah, March for me, Seemed very long, very long, in a good way, but it was crazy, man. It was crazy. That was, that. I mean, that's been my schedule. That has been my schedule. But people are like, what have you been doing lately? <laughs> that's, that's the schedule, folks. That's, that's what I have been doing. And for anybody that's paid attention on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which I know many of you have, this has been great. The, the amount of support and... People reading my articles and and listening to my interviews and downloading shows and going to the app and all this stuff. Like what you have all been doing, I cannot thank you enough. It really does mean a lot to me. So thank you so very much for everything that you've done. I really do appreciate it. And God bless to each and every one of you. Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT. WakeUpCallDT.com has it all. It has the social media links on the bottom of the page, and then you can connect with the RSS feed, the iTunes podcast, the downloadable app powered by Podbean, 
the live feed of mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, which you're listening to right now. Everything's on there. Over 500 articles on the Right Now page. There's videos. There are There's a Central New York tab where you can get everything from the Syracuse and Central New York and Upstate New York companies that I work with and I'm very proud to work with. So there is so much to be had on wakeupcalldt.com, the hub of everything that we do. So make sure that you go there and that you subscribe and make sure that you become a member right here on the live line of mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt because members can chat with me in the live chat room during the show and members are emailed every single time the show goes live so they never miss a live broadcast again and they always know what's going on. So make sure that you do that. We're about to hit 15,000 total live listens this morning thanks to you. So let's make sure that we get there this morning and make it happen and I hope you're having a great morning. Let's get into that morning menu because I am I'm stoked. This annoying moment of the week, folks, I'm about to go in. So let's get it going. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu, that is, live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora. The morning menu right here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora for this morning, March 30th, Friday, TGIF, baby. The morning menu for today, we're going to do what we always do on a Friday. You know our signature segments. We're going to make it happen. So, Ectocore said, let's hear Dan go ham on the annoying moment of the week. Amal, baby. That's the first thing that we're doing here. We do it every Friday. Good Friday is no different the annoying moment of the week coming to you in just a second. And then after that, Significant Sound Bites, our other signature segment on Friday, is going to extend itself. Because I couldn't choose between these two significant sound bites, I'm giving you a bonus significant sound bite this morning. So, our significant sound bites are going to be first at 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time, the Miracle on Ice comes to Wake Up Call. That's right, Mike Ramsey from the 1980 U.S. hockey team that defeated the Soviet Union, and then he went on to play almost two decades in the NHL, will join the airwaves at 9.30 a, a 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time for an unforgettable, memorable, exciting, miraculous, and historical interview on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Over a 1,000 people have graced the stage in the airwaves of this show, but we have never had the miracle on ice, and that will change this morning at 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time. Then after that, at about 10.15 a.m. Eastern Time, Braden Bayer will join the show. He went from a D3 player to Syracuse's walk-on to an Orange scholarship to playing in the NCAA tournament in a massive game in the round of 32 against Michigan State that helped the team to get on to the Sweet 16. This amazing story of Braden Bayer continues at 10.15 a.m. this morning through his mouth, his words, his thoughts, his feelings as we move forward with Braden Bayer. So very excited to have Braden on the show this morning right around 10.15 a.m. Eastern 
time. So, you know what's going on? Significant sound bites, double whammy with Mike Ramsey of the 1980 Miracle on Ice U.S. hockey team, and Braden Bayer, Syracuse's walk-on, who turned into a scholarship player, who went out there when Frank Howard went down and gave Syracuse some much-needed minutes, and on the defensive end especially, helped this team get past Michigan State and into the Sweet 16. And he is now, as a graduate transfer, looking for an opportunity to go somewhere and play a little bit more, coming off of this great run with the Syracuse Orange. A walk-on who helped the Syracuse team win over Tom Izzo, Miles Bridges, and Michigan State. I think that that could punch his ticket somewhere for sure. And we'll round out today's show with a massive, 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 smack in the face to Syracuse basketball. The madness just wasn't over for the Orange. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but not before everything else. The annoying moment of the week is first. Dan Tortora proudly brings you... Is that for real? Are you kidding me? The annoying moment of the week. I, I really, honest, I don't know how to respond to this. Presented by Carvel DeWitt, 4322 East Genesee Street. It's what happy tastes like. You have to be that crazy. I guess so. The annoying moment of the week proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt on 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York. It is what happy tastes like, and it is the home of the Dan of the Wake Up Call Sunday, pardon me. I was going to say the Dan Tortora special. The Wake Up Call Sunday, chocolate, vanilla, or a twist, soft serve, topped off with cookie dough pieces and caramel swirl. It is the amazing, enchanting, exciting way to spend any one of your holidays, any one of the seasons of the year to go out and get the Wake Up Call Sunday exclusively at Carvel DeWitt with my signature cookie dough pieces and caramel swirl. Go get it at 4322 East Genesee Street right now today in DeWitt, New York. And with that being said, I'm going ham on the annoying moment of the week live right now. So people want to know, Dan, what's the annoying moment of the week? What's it going to be? What you got for us? Well, folks, you know that I take from life experiences. You know that I take from things that happen to me, to somebody else, that I can't just sit here and say nothing. Can't just sit here and keep my mouth shut. Because things need to be said. Right? When people do things that are wrong, disgusting, deplorable, we need to talk about it. We need to put it out there. We need to let people know that that's not okay. We need to stand up against injustice. We need to say that your word means something. That your actions have consequences. That needs to be said. It needs to be stated. It needs to be overly stated that it's real. That people can't just go around willy-nilly treating people the way that they want to treat people, and thinking there's no repercussions to being a total buffoon. Because there are. And karma is only a bee if you slap her in the face. And unfortunately, I've watched some people do that. 
So today's annoying moment of the week is about when you sign on the dotted line, when you give a word, when you handshake, when you look somebody in the eye, you better come with it. You better be about it or else you're about nothing. If you can't keep your word, you're not worth anything. If you sign on a dotted line, you better damn well know what you're signing. You better understand what you're signing. And when you come at somebody and question somebody's hard work, their ethics, what they're about, you need to back it up. I've met some really good people in this world. And I've met some really, 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 really head-scratching, how can you have existed this long and been successful in any stretch of the imagination type of people. There's the people that care about quality. There's the people that care about service and care about doing things the right way every time. And if you're going to have a different experience every time, it's not an up and down experience. It's, oh, I experienced something new. I experienced something exciting. If you're a restaurant, experience something different on the menu. If you're a car dealership, it's, oh, you know, I went in this week and then the next week the cars were moved around and this was that. That's what's different. Not up and down service. Not food that can make somebody sick. Not people that take 20 minutes to get to your table to say hello. Not food that takes an hour and 20 minutes to get out. That's not what you want to see different from place to place and time to time. Now, on this end of the mic, I know my work ethic. I know what I do. I know what I'm about. I know what I stand for. Now, I compel, I would like to think that when I'm around other people that aren't working hard, that, you know, well, some people are, oh, you make me feel bad. Well, maybe that, I mean, that's not me. That's your conscience. That's your get up and let's get moving. Let's go. Let's make something out of this. You know, it's that's not me. That's you. That's your conscience saying, I feel guilty. I need to do more. And that's okay. It's okay to have that. Because you need that in life. You need that little kick in the posterior. But some people don't have that kick in the posterior because some people live in a fantasy bubble. Some people live in a world where they don't have to work that hard because somebody else is supposed to do it for them. Maybe so maybe mommy did it for them before. Maybe daddy did it for them. Maybe older bro bro did it for them. But they still to this day as grown people expect somebody else to cure all their ills, to fix all their problems, to make them feel better. And the reality of it all is the keeper of your life is you. The person that's got to get up and make it happen is you. And if you aren't the mashed potatoes, if you expect everybody in your, around your business, outside of your business, to be your mashed potatoes and not your gravy, you're not eating right because you're the mashed potatoes. And if you don't bring the potatoes, there's nothing to put gravy on. And that is the annoying moment of the week because when you are the gravy and there's no mashed potatoes... There is no reason to come to the dinner table because ain't nobody eating. Nobody's going to have a pool of gravy for dinner. That's not how it's going to be. So I've seen some good. I've seen some crazy in life. And I'm here this morning to let you know that if you're going through a tough time with your boss, if you're going through a tough time with somebody who signed a contract, I've been up and down and around the corner with contract signings. And some people sign contracts and treat them like any other contract. I can't call Visa this morning and go, you know what, Visa? 
MasterCard, American Express. I don't think I'm going to pay my bill this month. Thanks for asking, but I think I'm good. I can't call Honda and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to pay for my Honda anymore. I don't think you're going to get any monthly stuff in for me. I'm not getting the miles per gallon that I thought I was going to get, so I'm just not going to pay. I can't go and sit at a restaurant and go, you know, this food was great. I'm not going to pay you tonight, but thanks for the food. I tell people that all the time. I say, if I walked into your restaurant and I ate a steak and cheesecake and salad and this, you know, the salad bar and soup and this and all this stuff. And I rack up a bill and it's $60. And I look at you and I go, <laughs> I'm not paying you. I didn't sign a contract. Have a good day. How would you feel? So to the people that actually sign contracts that laugh in your face, it's hilarious. It's hilarious to me. I can't go in a restaurant, eat whatever the damn hell I want and walk out. I can't do that. I can't go take a car off a lot and go, thanks for the car, buddy. (laughs) I signed a contract, but I'm not going to live by it. You know me. I'm just, this is how I roll. (laughs) This is how I am. It's crazy how people in life can say, well, you can't take a car off a lot. You can't come eat a steak dinner for free. You can't walk in here and take all the clothes off the rack and say, thanks, You can't walk into a comic book store, rip all the comics off the wall and go, appreciate it, man. I'll send you a bill at some point. I'll send you a check sometime. Just just invoice me. You can't do that. You can't do that. Yet people have a mentality that you can. People have a thought process that says, yeah, I can do that. I can make that happen. But you can't. You can't. It's hilarious to me how someone can sit and say, well, I would never let somebody come in here and eat for free and exploit me. I don't want to go to a place where I have to wait an hour for food. I don't want to have to go somewhere where the server is a total jerk. Really? Because that's the business you're running. That's the company you're keeping. That's the level that you have fallen to, not risen to, fallen to. And if that's the place where you started, Jesus help you. The annoying moment of the week is we expect greatness. So we must show greatness. Me as a broadcaster, I can't promise anything. I get up, I can... I. I Let me rephrase. I can't promise the control of other people. I can talk with people about my ideas, my points, my statements, what matters to me, what I care about. But at the end of the day, I can't force people to agree with me. I can't force people to listen. I can't force people to watch. I can't force people to read. I can't force people to come out to an event. I come every day, give 150,000% effort, and I look at God on the other side and he says, I got you. And I say, I got you too. And then we go to work. And 15 years later, here I am. And almost seven years of owning my business, here I am. That's all I know. Work hard, 
play hard, give it all you got. I can't guarantee anything. I can't, other than what I can control. I can control the quality of my work, the quantity of my work, the accessibility and availability of my work, and the accessibility and the availability of me. And my time is precious. So outside of doing the show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, when I say I'll do this event, I'll do this, 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 it's time away from my family. It's time away from me. Just relaxing. That's time away from meditation. That's time away from editing and writing stories and researching and building business models. It's time away from that. So my time is precious. So when you ask me to do something and you ask me to be somewhere, you ask me to be a part of something, you better understand that if you don't respect my time, you don't respect my work, my quality, then don't even talk to me. Because if you can't respect the person, what I've learned from a lot of people is they don't respect themselves. And I'm here this morning to tell everybody, life ain't perfect. And you're going to meet some knuckleheads. But don't let the knuckleheads tear you apart. Don't let the knuckleheads take you down. And don't let the knuckleheads make you feel like you can't make it in this world. Don't let the knuckleheads take you down because they don't deserve you. And there will come a day where you realize that and you're not around that anymore because they don't. They do not deserve you. The knuckleheads, the crazies, they don't deserve five seconds with you. And when people are grasping at straws and going insane, it's because they know deep down that they just don't have it. They know deep down that something is wrong with where they're at. I've never met a good person, man, woman, or child, that has ever, ever spoken with a level of disrespect, hatred, and derogatory. They don't. People don't talk like that. We all work hard. Well, I, I can't say that. I know I work hard. And I know that I surround myself with people that work very hard. And if you don't work hard and you don't give it all you got, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, Dan, you know, I'm successful half doing it all the time. I'm successful just getting by. <laughs> I screw these people over every day and I just somehow make it. Okay. Well, that catches up with you. But quality, effort, enthusiasm, positivity, reality, I'm different. And I know I'm different. For all the things that matter, I am different. And I love that. I love being different. I love being original. I love being me. And nobody is going to take that away from me. So I speak from my experience, but I speak on behalf of Everybody that's been through it, when you get slapped in the mouth and you said, what did I do to you? You ask those questions. You want to know. And you go crazy. And you fight. And you fight. And you fight. And you fight. Until you get to a point where after so many of those conversations, you say to yourself, what does this person look like? 
do they resemble anybody else that was a thorn in my side? What happened to that person? Because nine times out of ten, people that can't figure out their own life try to figure out yours. And when they can't figure out yours and you can't save them and you're not their everything, you're not their mashed potatoes, steak, gravy, mushrooms, and blah, 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 they blame you. They're where they are in life and they will never rise above that point because they want somebody else to pick them up. Where I'm the person where if you ask me to pick you up, I'll help you out. But I'm not carrying you my whole damn life because then how am I supposed to live my life? You can't carry everybody else's burdens with you. You can't do that. I can't wake up every day saying, I'm going to run your business and my business and his business and her But You can't do that. That's a common misconception of advertising. You're not there to, you don't work for them. You're not their employee. You don't run their business. You just help. You support. You extend. You're an extension of them. And when they don't perform and they don't come through, real people, good people, sit down and say, what can I do better? How can I improve? Knuckleheads? They spit on all their extensions, everybody that tried to help them. And that's the thing about life. When you spit on everybody that's helping you, eventually you're by yourself. And when somebody comes at you, you have no guard. You got nobody there to protect you because you spit on your entire team. Look around the room and ask yourself the question, am I the person that blames everybody else for my problems? Or am I the person who owns my you-know-what and gets with it? I am not a perfect person. I know where I can improve. And I work to improve every day. But there is no doubt in my mind that for the rest of my life, I will serve the good Lord. And the good Lord will continue to bless my path, me, my loved ones. And I pray and I hope he blesses the broken people that I've met. We're all broken to an extent. But if I've learned anything in my life and in my quest and in my journey, it's that once you know who you are and once you know what you're worth, you can have people tell you you're not worthy of them and you will begin to laugh instead of cry. You can hear people say you're not this and you're not that. But when they put no effort into a partnership, it's like a relationship. It's like a relationship. If you put nothing into your relationship and somebody else is fighting their behind off on the other side and you just walk up to them and go, you know, this isn't really working out. Yeah, because that dang person is carrying you both. How dare you do that to her? Or him. If you're somebody in a relationship that's expecting it all to come to you, I'm just going to sit here in my underpants on the couch and you're going to bring me the bacon. Those are the people that will sit on that couch for the rest of their lives. 
when people like you and me, we're up and running. And we'll sit on that couch when we're done. God bless and happy tidings to the hardworking people out there who give a damn about their future. We'll take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop. When we come back, we will be with the miracle on ice, Mike Ramsey of the 1980 U.S. Olympic team will be joining the show this morning right around 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvelanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrySigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrySigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrysigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. This is Dan Tortora on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora here with Mike Ramsey. Mike Ramsey of the Miracle on Ice. Kind of an interesting scenario on how I had the opportunity to meet him, and, and I'll, uh, I'll talk with him about that in just a moment here. But, Mike, first and foremost, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. A great day to be in Lake Placid. 
And, and, and Mike, kind of a, an interesting thing, uh, you're coming out of Minnesota. I had the opportunity of covering the NCAA tournament. You know, it's something I've done for years now. And I was flying through Minneapolis, couldn't get back to Syracuse, so had to go through Albany. Ended up on a flight with over a dozen Olympians, one of them being yourself. It's pretty crazy, and I know that you had some people come through the airport in Minneapolis and kind of stop and speak with you and whatnot, and and I kind of want to start there about how, you know, the story of your team back in 1980 is a story that is is always being told. It's never going to go away, and there's there's always that opportunity for somebody on a flight that's sitting next to you or somebody at a restaurant or wherever it may be, a barbershop, that ends up connecting with you and and you know, getting to say thank you to what you did back then. How surreal and how, how kind of crazy is that for you still to this day? Well, for me, I have to pinch myself a lot just to, just to you know, I'm, that I was part of it. And uh, even my wife, uh, uh, my wife laughs. Uh, I'll see clips and highlights on TV sometimes, and I'll tap her on the shoulder, and I'll go, hey, hey, I was on that team. And so for, for me, it, it, it's it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's unreal that, that as fortunate enough to be part of something like that, but uh, um, we can travel. We can travel a lot of places, and believe me, nobody knows any of the guys or who we are. And, uh, um, it's uh, uh, you don't get recognized. I can tell you that. And when you and you say like you know you can go places and you don't get recognized, but you know there are those moments where people will stop you and and speak with you. It just like you said, to kind of pinch yourself and say, "Hey, I was a part of this." Looking back into that history, you know, just bring me into that. How how surreal that is for you, and and how, like you said, you have to remind yourself that that this was something that you got to do. Just just how sometimes you're kind of on the outside looking in, reminding yourself, no, 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 that's that <laughs> that was our team. That was that was our film that I'm watching. No, you're exactly right. And I think you know when they came out with the movie, I think the movie brought a whole new generation. Uh, into it. Otherwise, I think it, uh, I'm not going to say it would, it would die out totally, but the movie brought a, a different generation and, and they feel like they can relate to it and, and they feel like they're part of it. So I, I get parents coming up to me. Uh, they introduce their kids to me and the kids kind of look at me and they have no idea who, uh, you know, who I played on the team or anything, but the parents are all excited so they want to share it with the kids. So the movie helps the kids out. And, uh, but like I said, for me to be part of it, I was great. It was very fortunate, very, very cool. And I was 19 years old, and uh, I was, it was. I always tell somebody, everybody should get to experience something like that once in a lifetime. And when you look at that, speaking here with Mike Ramsey of the Miracle on Ice, the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, uh, Mike, when when you had that, bring me into that opportunity. 19 years old, just how it happened for you, how how you're pieces kind of fell where they fell to give you an opportunity to be with this team? Uh, I played, I, I, I'm from Minnesota, I played for the University of Minnesota Gophers. Um, I was a freshman, and we uh, won a national championship in in 79, and so um, I'm not going to say I had an inside track, but uh, her ended up taking eight guys from that team for the Olympic team that year. They had a tryout, they won 70, 80 guys to Colorado Springs, and they picked a, a, a kind of a temporary team, 28 guys, and then we, we played that exhibition schedule for six months, cut it down to 20, and I was one of the 20 to make it and to be part of it. So uh, I, I thought I might be a little too young, but 
things worked out. And, you know, to be 19 years old and, and to be in that time of the world, it wasn't just that you were on the United States team, but you're playing up against the Soviet Union. And as much as this was a sporting event, it was so much more than that. Did you feel that on your shoulders as a team? Did you get a sense of that, uh, of the kind of bigger meaning of the game and and the Soviet Union and, and the United States and kind of everything going on off the ice? Or, or did you not feel that in the moment? You know I think uh, as, as a team, I can tell you we weren't worried about everything else that was going on in the world with the Soviet Union, the Cold War, and USA versus Russia. To us, it was a hockey game, and it was a hockey game against the best team in the world. And uh, we had played them two weeks before, and we got shellacked ten to three in that Square Garden. And so we were, we we knew we had we knew had a, we had a big audience watching us. We had attention in the U.S. But, I think uh, more or less we kind of want to just make a game of it and not get embarrassed. And uh, as the game went on, we realized that uh, we could play with them and, and uh, we had a chance. And he said, obviously, it worked out. You brought up the movie and, you know, that kind of, like you said, helping the younger generation to connect with the team, know the team, know the names. When when the movie, you know, when they're setting up for that and getting ready to, you know, they're writing the script and, and getting into production and whatnot, how much did they involve? Did they did they want to come and meet with you and get to know you and your mannerisms and what and, and the, your personalities and whatnot? Did you was there any connection? Was there any type of deep connection with the movie or was it kind of just, hey, we're going to make this movie about what you guys did? Well, originally the movie was kind of basically on Herb. And uh, they're talking to some of the guys on the team, and they, they're asking just things about Herb. And the kind of players kind of went, "Whoa, whoa how about you know, what about the team? <laughs> what about the, what about us?" And, and so they brought the team involved in it. Um, and when they made the movie, they had a few of the guys were on set, kind of watching the, uh, some of the scenes, and, and uh, did this happen like this? It happened like this. Um, so we had a little input on it, but there's a little bit of there's a little bit of Hollywood added into the thing. Um, the guy who played me was a kid by the name of Joe Keir. He was a hockey player. I think he was in Apple Valley, uh, Minnesota. And he was, I don't know, he was maybe 20, 21. And he called me and, and uh, he, he asked me questions about my role and how I acted in the locker room or acted on the ice or how I carried myself. And so he was trying to identify with the role a little bit better. So, But for me personally, I really had no say happened in the movie or went went down in the movie and they i mean there the movie was it was a great movie um there's obviously some things they, they stretch a little bit but it's hollywood and you know what what can you say when you obviously live through it and then you watch the movie what what was the biggest stretch what was the biggest difference of what you saw on film well like i said it's, it's about herb a lot of a lot of things that herb did behind the scenes um with uh, USA Hockey talking with his wife in the locker room when we weren't there, so obviously we don't know. We don't know if that if, it, if that's exactly how it went down. Um, the, there's a couple things that the skate that happened in Norway, uh, a huge part of the movie when when the coach was out yelling again, again, again. Well, the skate happened, but it didn't quite happen like that, and I feel kind of guilty because. I was in my street clothes already with Bud Schneider and Steve Kristoff. We got thrown out of the game for fighting, so we didn't do the skate. So 
we were doing the skate and everyone wants to talk about it and um, I didn't do it. So yeah. I feel like I missed, missed out a little bit. And when when you see that, when you see things that, you know, aren't historically accurate, can you find peace with that or, or does it bother you when you when you watch something like that and know that that's not how it went down? Oh, no. I, it, it, I mean, we've all watched enough movies that, that based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you watch the movie, so, um, no, they, they, they're pretty close on, on, on all the stuff, so. Um, I was I was more than happy because the movie and they did a great job with it. It was a great representation of our team. Uh, I thought some of the things, uh, um, like kind of like Mark Johnson, who was our best player by far, and he kind of carried he kind of carried our team. I didn't think he got got enough credit for you know what went on in in, in the Olympics and in the games and stuff. Uh, um, but you have to base a story on some things. But Mark Johnson was a fantastic player and. and uh, he did and, and you wouldn't even know he played on the team after, after the movie you know <laughs> yeah and, and and to go to um something like like you said uh, the movie originally was going to be you know just predominantly a, about her brooks your coach uh, he had his life cut short in at 66 years old uh, north of minneapolis in the in the car crash to to go back to those moments and obviously your connection to to Minneapolis, you know, not not obviously too far away from you. I mean, to to look back on that and look back on your coach and and everything that you did together and accomplished together, that moment for you and you know how you found out, you know, the phone call or whatever it may be of of when Herb unfortunately left this world too soon. Actually, I was on a golf course and somebody playing behind me came up and told me. And I didn't believe him at first, and uh, um, so I was kind of shocked. And, and for, I mean, for her, it was, it was it was obviously it was very tragic and sad. But for for all of us guys, he's basically the first member of the team to, to pass away, and and we're all getting older, and we are going to pass away eventually. And they said that they, we didn't think it was going to be so soon, and and uh, it kind of robbed uh, robbed us of of. Uh, a relationship with Herb because after the Olympics, our relationship changed. Herb was no longer our coach, and now he. So we 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 could almost have a relationship on par with him, and you could banter with him back and forth, and you could talk hockey, and you could give him grief, and you could disagree with him, and you can argue with him, and you can tell him that he was wrong, and and so that just that uh, being able to do that was was fantastic. And, kind of robbed us of, of, of that. I mean, we've done a lot of things since the Olympics together as a team. And uh, he would he would he would have been around for that and uh, and being part of it. And, and I think there's some we, we missed out on that. That coming from Mike Ramsey of the Miracle on Ice 1980 U.S. Olympic team. Uh, Mike, to to look back on Herb and, and his memories, what are the things that stick out to you the most? And not necessarily as a coach, but in general, you know, when when you celebrate his memory, what do you celebrate? Well, I think about, I was for, uh, fortunate enough to play for him in college for a year and then uh, a, a, a year with the Olympic team. And, and uh, um, Herb, Herb was a... Herb was a, uh, a motivator. He, uh, yeah, he was a psych, he was a psych major, so he you know how to how to push the buttons. And <laughs> he was not an easy easy man to play for. I can tell you that he was hard on you. 
he was harder than us, and but uh, he understood. He understood. Uh, he understood his guys. He understood his players and and, and personalities and how, how how to how to make them work together. And obviously, he did did the uh, did the right job and the right choice. And, and he was the right man for the job. And and uh, so I was honored to be the uh, play for him for two years. There's a different world back then when you were playing in in 1980. Obviously, the Soviet Union was uh, was in its in it in its in its current in its state that it was in. I mean, it's not what it is. Obviously, today, Soviet Union was a different different breed, a different creation. There was West Germany and not just Germany. There was Czechoslovakia and and uh, you know Slovakia and the Czech Republic and whatnot. When you look back on those days, and and now we're speaking here 38 years later. How much have you felt the world change when you when you look back on you know even just the teams that you were playing the countries that you were playing the the you know in the Soviet Union just what that giant behemoth was at the time and and what it had kind of controlled at the time and now things obviously are different uh, and they are different and, and the funny thing I guess I didn't now uh, you know looking back I I don't look at it like like that back then I, I played I played in the NHL for 17 years and I played with a lot of Russians and I roomed with them I, I, they were partners on, <laughs> on my line and they're no different than us and they're thinking the same thing that we're thinking and and like I said when push comes to shove they're no different than us and uh, it's, it's very ironic you, know, you look at the, the whole scheme of things back then and now and, uh, and you kind of chuckle about it but the, and when you see it today and you kind of see the world today and you hear about the United States and you hear about Russia and whatnot, Mike, I mean, does it make you take a step back and say, you know, hey, we we won this game over the Soviet Union. And then, like you said, you went on to play in the NHL and and you roomed with people from Russia. And, and like you said, they're thinking what we're thinking, we're thinking what they're thinking. And now you see the world again today in 2018 and it's United States versus Russia. And what did Russia do with this? And what's America with that? Is it strange to you that things kind of feel like maybe they've gone backwards in a way? I mean, how do you kind of look at it? Now we're talking politics. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I know we are a little bit here. <laughs> and, and we are, and, and, and I, I think I think the whole thing is kind of absurd. I think so probably a lot of people probably wouldn't uh, agree with me, but um, I kind of shake shake my head uh, uh, with all the stuff I see, and um, I guess uh, I, I guess I, I don't even want to dig into that. How's that? <laughs> no, that's that's fair enough. It's just I just find it funny how thirty eight years later the world seems I mean, to. I mean. Like I said, everybody wants to wants to dig and, and, and dig for a story or an angle or a situation. And uh, for us, you know, it's it the hockey game. It was a hockey game, right? And and and, and I, I know it, it means more to a lot of people. And it's very it, it's uh, that guy needs a muffler. Anyway, <laughs> <now>. <laughs> it, 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 to us, it was a hockey game. That's what that's what it meant to us, and and. Uh, to us, we're playing the best hockey team in the world, and that's that's what our focus was. It wasn't there was no political angle or anything, and uh, we we just wanted to win a hockey game. And when you do that, Mike, you know, like you said, to you, you're playing a hockey game. You're obviously playing a win. Every you don't you don't go to the Olympics or 
on the ice at any time to go out and lose. So you're focused on the next team up, the next the next opponent that you have, the next adversary. It happened to be the Soviet Union, and you played them and you won the game. But did you get a sense for it in that moment? Like you said, you're playing for the hockey game, but once that game was over, be it the media, the coverage, the cameras, the questions, the the cheering, the responses, whatever it may be, did you get a sense of, oh my God, we, we <laughs> we're, here we are playing a game, but yet other things are going on and, and people are treating this differently? Or did it take a few months or maybe a few years removed to look back on it and go, wow, we were, we were just out there playing a game and and we had no idea that this is what it was becoming. Well, actually, after we beat the Soviets, we had another game to play. Uh, we had to play the uh, Finland, so um, it was we had, we had a day off, and then we had to play Finland. So it was kind of role reversals, and we went from underdogs to favorites, um, playing for the gold medal, and, and uh, uh, yeah, that was that was our focus at at the, at the time. And, and if we don't beat Finland, we're not sitting here on the phone right now having this conversation because it really doesn't. We get we end up getting bronze, and it's not that big of a story that you know um, that that we finished off the, the job was was probably the, the, the huge story. But um, as far as changing 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 things, life in the world, I I don't I don't I don't think it changed anything. I think it I think it it helped uh, hockey in the U.S. I think uh, kids kids uh, watch that, and I think that it uh, made some more kids play hockey. I think that that, that helped the USA Hockey Program and develop in hockey in the states. Hockey players won the NHL. I think it uh, it helped that, and I think it helped at that time. It was a good time for the country. It made it was a feel good story for the country. You know, something to grab onto, and uh, um, did it make any difference politically? No, no. Like I said, it was just came out. Appropriate time, and it was a feel-good story. And you look at it like you said, you you defeated the Soviet Union, and so people looking back to 1980, you know, they treat that like that was the game for the gold medal. But you had to get ready, like you said, and play Finland after that. And and like you just mentioned, Mike, that that's the real story. Bring me into that that Finland game, and and knowing like like you said, we lose this game, we're bronze, we win it, we're gold. You know, just. Once, once you did that role reversal and that flip that you were talking about from underdog to being the team that, you know, people were saying, okay, well, we expect America to win after defeating the Soviet Union. There's a lot of things that happened in 24 hours, and then you went and took care of business over Finland. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper into that because, like you said, that needed to happen to finish what you guys were doing. It To finish this run, this miracle, as people call it, had to include this game against Finland. Yeah, like I said, we went. We, it was it was role reversal. We went from under, uh, being underdogs all times to also being favorites. And I, I, we weren't exactly uh, comfortable in that role, and, and uh, um, as a group, we were, we were confident, but we were, we were a little nervous against Finland. They're a good team, and we we've been over to Finland uh, in a uh, month before playing some of their elite league teams. And, and we won some games, lost some games, won some games. So it was it, there was nothing there was nothing guaranteed. And actually, we were down in the game again, trailing, and we had to come back and uh, uh, come from behind to win. And and then you you look at kind of from here. I want to take a look before we finish things up here with Mike Ramsey from the 1980 U.S. Olympic team. And Mike, you had an opportunity to have longevity inside of the NHL. 
and to you know be able to do what you did 18 seasons the majority of that with the Buffalo Sabres Pittsburgh Penguins Detroit Red Wings as well just what you took away from that because you know I mean obviously it's it's one thing to be on the Olympic team and it's another thing to play inside of the National Hockey League and not only play in it but sustain your time in it and you played for almost two decades so just what you could say about your takeaways were from that and transitioning into that next part of your career and that next chapter in your life. Well, it was it was a quick transition because I think I signed a, maybe three, four days after the Olympics. And five days later, I was in Buffalo uh, playing in my first game, NHL game and um, as a hockey player. Uh, I, I guess I think that's every every kid's dream. I, 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 I constantly say growing up, I wasn't thinking about playing on the Olympic team growing up. It was just something that happened for me. But uh, uh, playing in the NHL was something that, that I dreamed about and, and uh, it just seemed to be the next step forward after Olympics. And, and uh, I, was, I was very fortunate to have a long career and play with a lot of good players and good teams and, <laughs> and be part of it. And, and uh, uh, it, it, uh, I always tell people it, it, it's a hard way to make an easy living easy living because it, it was it was it wasn't it wasn't easy um but it was it was lots of fun and it was great to be part of when you look back on your time in the nhl and you know all those years that you played and then fast forward to right now have you seen any drastic changes have you seen any uh anything that maybe doesn't look like it did back then any parody or things that stick out to you i mean are you still sitting back and, and watching these NHL games and paying close attention? And, and if so, do you see a change from when you were playing? A uh, huge change. A huge change from from when I was playing. And I, I am coaching 13 years after I retired. And, and just, just, the, just um, the coaching's changed. The coaching is, is, is so much better and uh, more, more systematic. The, they break down tapes and player has to be right here, not there. You have to go here. Um, it, they don't make a lot of mistakes in the games anymore. And uh, and if you do, it's usually a scoring chance. The goalies are the goalies are so big and, and the equipment's so big. And you look back in the old days and the guys have the little skinny brown pads and you can see all kinds of net to shoot at. Now you look and there's just there's no net to shoot at. Shoot at. And, it's, and like I said, the players are they're, they're so well coached and players are big strong and fast and there's not a lot of room out in the ice and it, <laughs> it, uh, uh, there's, there's not a lot of room out there and uh, um, the players are better I hate to say it but the players are much better now than they were uh, you know 35 years ago but um, and we thought we were good then they're they're great they're great now and, and when you look at I mean you had the opportunity and the blessing to, to be an Olympian and be a player in the NHL. How different was that for you? I mean, obviously, I know you're playing countries as opposed to playing cities inside of America. But, you know, what can you say about the game? And, you know, because there there is that theory of, you know, you maybe you're good in the Olympics, but you're not meant to have longevity in the in a in a professional team here and there you know we see some players that try to transition and it doesn't work so what can you say you took away from the ebb and flow of of being an olympian and and also being an nhl player well i think i, I mean i think that's that's the thing with a, a lot of things in life that, you know, a lot of things transition good or bad and 
think uh, our team, I mean, I know they, they uh, it was kind of a uh, new era of, uh, when, after the Olympics. We put quite a few guys in the NHL, and I think uh, I think we have, we have a lot of good players on the on our team. Uh, I think when people look back, they don't realize. I mean, there's we had three guys that played over a thousand games in the NHL. We had Kenny Morrow, he won four standing cups for New York, New York Islanders. We had Mark Johnson, who was captain of the Hartford Whalers. We had good players, <laughs> and uh, so I, I know it was a huge upset. And and uh, but we did have good players. And, and when you look back, I wanna I wanna look at this really quick. I mean, when we look at just the the 21st century of the Stanley Cup and the winners, I mean, we have 2000, the New Jersey Devils, 2001, the Colorado Avalanche, then the Red Wings, the Devils again, the Lightning, the Hurricanes of Carolina, the Anaheim Ducks, Red Wings, Penguins, Blackhawks, Bruins, the Los Angeles Kings, the Blackhawks again, the Kings again, then the Blackhawks again, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins, the last couple here, you know, we're obviously seeing some teams like Pittsburgh and Chicago and Los Angeles recently, you know, make their make their way into this. And Detroit, which you were a part of, they have their history and their longevity as well. And right outside of the 21st century, had the 1997-1998. But, you know, what can you say about the level of competition in the NHL right now? I mean, I'm saying some names that have found their way every year, every other year to hoist that Stanley Cup recently. But, you know, we've seen some different teams get in it, you know, in a team not too long ago like the Anaheim Ducks in 2007. Well, I, I think it's, 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 it's very difficult to have a, a dynasty in the NHL now with salary cap and, and, the, and, the, and the money because it's hard to hold on to players because back in the, in the 80s, you, couldn't, you really couldn't go anywhere. They had you locked, locked in, so... I think it was easier to have a, a dynasty back then. Uh, uh, like the Islanders went four straight, Edmonton winning, winning four. Um, I mean, I, what, what Pittsburgh and Chicago has done is, is a credit to, to their organizations from the players they have there because um, they keep the nucleus and they kind of stick handle around them. They keep the nucleus. And uh, they're, they're, they're big gunners are the guys that drive the bus and the other guys come in and got support. But uh, it's hard to have a dynasty in the NHL now, the way it's set up. You're in Minnesota, so I got to ask you. I mean, one of the one of the newly you know put on to the NHL expansion teams, the Minnesota Wild. Are you are you a fan of the Wild? Is that the team that you're paying attention to the closest? Yeah, no, I I, I coach with the Wild for for uh, ten years, so um, I live in Minnesota and I follow them. And, uh, so obviously they're they're my favorite team and, and the team that I'm, I I pull for and I watch. And uh, they'll get in the playoffs, and hopefully this is their year to take a run. And, I mean, you look at some other things that recently with the expansion, Minnesota came in in 2000, but the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, did you think that you would see the NHL continue to expand? It's now 30-plus teams. There's a team in Las Vegas. I mean, did, did you ever see this happening and this type of expansion and, and having a team in Vegas and, and kind of seeing it move the way that it has? Uh, I didn't envision this, but at at, uh, at five hundred million plus for an expansion team, I, I would keep expanding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if that's what they're going to pay for to come into the league and split it up amongst teams, it, I mean, it's that's it, hard not to it's hard not to uh, expand when they're. I think it's more than that. It's probably six hundred fifty million for the, the next team or whatever the price is. It's 
to uh it's uh it's, it's hard not to expand when that's the that's the price of a franchise. But I didn't know I no. I did I did I think that was coming? No. Vegas, no. But you have teams in, you know, Carolina and Tampa and they've been there for quite a while now, so it's kinda of nice to have if you're a player it's sure is nice to have warm warm towns to go to. Absolutely, and you know, and, and to have that, you know, kind of like you said, the the nice situations and the nice atmospheres and the nice weather outside of the arena, that coming from Mike Ramsey of the Miracle on Ice in 1980, as well as longevity and almost two decades as a player inside of the NHL, and then well over that when you look at coaching and connections there. Mike, I know it's your first time here on the show, and, and I appreciate you taking some time, as I know you're in Lake Placid doing your fantasy camp with the rest of the guys, and I look forward to the opportunity of you coming back on the show. We'd love to have you. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, Mike. All right. Bye-bye. This is a wake-up call. Fast break. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily you know we bring in local produce we prepare to order in the kitchen we hand bread our chicken we hand spin our milkshakes it's it's great food it doesn't taste like fast food I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a chick-fil-a restaurant it's different we, we try to treat people with intentional kindness here which is very different and deeper than good customer service and so you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly, the impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or HondaCity-CNY.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop at Honda City. 
For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Want to give a special thank you to... Mike Ramsey for being a part of the show. Miracle on Ice had the opportunity to meet him and speak with him in my travels of the NCAA tournament. I really want to give him a special thank you for being a part of the show. It means so very much. So big shout out and a big thank you to Mike Ramsey, who spent almost two decades as a player in the NHL and then went back to the NHL and was able to help out on the other side of things and in the coaching ranks and whatnot. And So just give him a lot of uh, appreciation and respect, and of course for that 1980 run that meant so much. And and I found it really interesting that, you know, he was saying, you know, when we were on the ice, we were just on the ice playing a game. You know, we had to win these games. We had another game to play after the Soviet Union. We had Finland, and uh, if we didn't beat them, we would have had bronze. So, you know, it's like all this stuff is happening for people outside of it and outside of the game and you know, pull, you know, the politics and this, that, and the other thing. But he's like, you know what? For us, we were just playing a game. For us, we were just trying to win the gold medal. We were, we were, you know, that's what we came for. That's what we were striving to do. And all this other stuff that's going on around us, you know, we're really not paying that much attention to what's happening and, and, and how it's affecting people and whatnot. We're just enjoying the ride and, and working our tails off to try and get that gold medal. So I just found that really interesting and intriguing that, you know, we look at one of the greatest moments in sports history of all sports combined. And, you know, that Mike, one of the guys playing the games, like, listen, we weren't focused on any of that. We were just focused on trying to get to the next game. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just funny how things are from the inside out and the outside in and just what it meant to the country. And, and then when the guys were playing, you know, just the fact that they were zeroed in and, it wasn't a bigger than them moment. And that's, you know, that's a big reason why they won, I'm sure, is because they didn't make it bigger than them and they didn't make it something that it's not. They just went and played a hockey game and gave it all they possibly could. And they were the underdogs to the Soviet Union. And then all of a sudden, they were the team to beat against Finland. So, you know, they, they flip-flopped. And you heard him speak on that, how it was a little role reversal from one game to the next. But the team was able to handle it, figure it out, and win it. And then, you know, the untimely passing away of Herb Brooks and just what that did. And, you know, and, and like Mike Ramsey said, to take take that away from us, that our coach could be our peer and, you know, we could talk with him about stuff and tell him things we liked and didn't like and what we would change and whatnot and that they didn't, they didn't really have that time. So, you know, to to Herb in heaven and, and to everybody, you know, on that team that's, that, you know, is not with us anymore and whatnot. Like, like, uh, Mike was saying to me, he's like, you know, we're going to start 
passing away. You know, he's like, we're we're not all going to be here. You know, we're not all here forever. And it was just that sad truth of like, you know, we're celebrating together in Lake Placid and there's about 14 of us. But that's why I tell you all the time and why I remind myself, appreciate the moment, live in the moment, love the moment before the moment is gone. And a moment could last a really long time. A moment could feel very short, but it's your enjoyment of that moment and making the most of that moment that is what matters. So seize the moment and enjoy that. And and I, I mean, speaking about seizing the moment, I mean, I, I was talking to a total stranger and he goes, hey man, he goes, I think that that's one of the guys from the Miracle on Ice. And I think that that, that other guy's with him. And I think that other guy might be a part of, and you know, and so I do my due diligence and, you know, try to match up people and whatnot with, you know, who's who. And, and then just kind of got off the plane and went over to Mike and, and said, Hey Mike, you know, I'm Dan Satora. I'm a broadcaster. You know, I was just on your plane and, and I love the opportunity to speak with you. And, and he was very nice and very kind and very welcoming. And he said, yeah, you know, I'll give you a call. Give me your number. And he did. He gave me a call. I didn't get his number. He got mine. And, and he called me up and we figured out a plan together. He was very easy to get in touch with and figure things out with and just very hospitable. And, and I appreciate it very much. So, so, you know, seize the moment you're on a plane with somebody. You want to say hello, you say hello. You want an opportunity to speak with somebody. You don't go, well, I hope God will put me in front of all these guys again someday when I have the courage to say hello. You know, that's that's not how life works. Sometimes things come back around. Sometimes they never do. But the thing is, whether it's that, you know, whether it's a girl you want to talk to or a guy you want to talk to or a former player or a current player or an entertainer or whatever it may be, just do it. Just do it. Because the repercussion of not is, you know, it stays with you. Why didn't I ask that girl to the prom? Why didn't I... Why didn't I see, you know, what this person was doing after lunch? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? You don't want to be a person who lives life with regrets. And because regrets, they don't give you anything. They just take up space. It's kind of like if you don't eat a meal, it, the regret is just like the air bubble, just trying to take the space in your stomach. That's all it is. A regret is an air bubble doing and having the courage to do. That's That's the meal. That's the meal of it all. And, you know, in, in moments like that, it's late at night, we flew in late, and I just, I just went up to Mike Ramsey and said, hey, Mike, I'm Dan Satora, this is what I do, I'd love to have you on the show. And Mike said yes. So, I figured God put me on that plane on purpose, I was going to make the most of the opportunity, and thanks to Mike Ramsey, we got to do that and maximize the opportunity. So, shout out to you, Mike, and thank you for for coming on to the show and I look forward for hopefully many more conversations to come and and connections with that and uh, and everything that that he did and obviously you know what he did in the NHL was amazing too so I appreciate your time and I, I appreciate you know you just taking a couple minutes to talk to a stranger it means a lot so thank you to Mike Ramsey for that and thank you to the 1980 U.S. National Hockey team. We'll take a quick step aside for a fast break here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And when I come back, Braden Bayer from D3 to Syracuse walk-on to Syracuse scholarship to playing against Michigan State in the round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16. 
Braden Bayer joins me next. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Unica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. This is Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. We appreciate you being a part of the show. Braden Bayer on the broadcast with me. Braden and I have have yet to you know do an interview here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, but he's somebody that obviously you know you pay attention to the story all the way through. Covered the team this season like I do every season, and you know his story is a very interesting one and in a very cool story, a very uh, in, in kind of like an ever evolving story throughout the season. So. First and foremost, before we get to that, let's bring him into the show. Braden, how you doing today? Pretty good. How are you, Dan? Uh, I'm doing well. And and Braden, you know, you came onto this team as a walk-on. Geno Thorpe comes in. He's got a scholarship. He's a grad transfer. He decides a few games in. It's not for him. He leaves the team. Bayheim gives you a scholarship. And bring me into how all this happened because you're a walk-on. You're on the squad. You hope to get in and in some of these games, you know, at the early point of the season in the last minute or so, and then all of a sudden you get a scholarship from Bayheim when it, when things got shaken up a little bit. Bring me into kind of the the steps and, and what happened once Geno Thorpe had left the team. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was funny too because Geno was my roommate, so uh, it was a little it was strange to just have him just get up and go um, one day, so it was actually pretty crazy. But um, once he left – um, I think we even had two scholarships, so like there's still there was still one left for the season. Um, so I knew there was an extra one anyway. But then once he left, um, it was kind of like, all right, am I ever gonna get the scholarship? Like I was hoping. Um, I've heard like rumors from last season when I was on the team um, that if there was an extra one, that I would be the candidate to get it. Um, so once he left, it kind of just pushed the process a little faster. So once once that happened, a uh, um, couple days after he left, really. Um, it was announced to me that I was going to be uh, be put on scholarship. Um, so that was, I thought right there that was going to be the culmination of my career. Like I, fi- I 
put on scholarship from a walk-on um, on Syracuse University. So that was pretty much the biggest step I felt of my career, and I thought that was going to be it, and I would have been happy with that. Um, but obviously having him leave, it was just Howard Washington. That was uh, one of our backup guards. And Bayhams kind of told me throughout my time being here that, like, I could help. I could uh, come in and bring energy and just be a spark off the bench or if we ever needed it. Um, but, you know, the way he, we played the season, everyone was playing 40 minutes, basically. Um, so I didn't really think that that opportunity was going to come to fruition. But with Howard going down, um, it just, the reality just kept becoming clear and clearer if something happened during a game I'd, I'd be able to get in so just the steps of just getting on scholarship to having this opportunity it's just been surreal so couldn't ask for a better opportunity here speaking here with with Braden Bayer of of Syracuse's season this past season but moving on and getting an opportunity from here we'll talk about that in just a little bit so, you know, you come onto this team, you know, bring me into the walk-on process because, you know, if people kind of, you know, they, they always want to know who's on scholarship, who's on the team in general, you know, who's a walk-on, who made it here. It, it's not just anybody just comes in over to Jim Bayheim and says, hey, I'm going to walk onto the team. And he's like, yeah, okay, we got a spot for you. I mean, you know, bring me into to what had to happen because obviously you play basketball growing up, you come to Syracuse. And, you know, you do some good things where you're at, you know, Trinity Pauling School and, and whatnot. And and so what, what you've done up to this point is not walk-on status, but you go to a team like Syracuse and maybe they say, hey, you know, we don't have a scholarship for you, but we're willing to put you here. So bring me through the process and, and how you ended up being a walk-on onto, onto the team. Yeah, so I played a high, like high-level AAU my whole career leading up into the point where I was going to commit to a college. So um, Tyler Lydon was one of my best friends throughout the AAU years. Uh, we used to carpool to practice and everything together. So uh, we had a really good relationship. So when I finally committed to college, it was a D3 school out in Iowa, and I just wasn't too happy socially and academically. Um, so when I started thinking about transferring, he was one of the first people I hit up. So um, when he told me that he had a chance to uh, – give me an opportunity to walk on and he could talk to the coaches on my behalf um i immediately was like all right well i'm applying to the school and i'm gonna try to take you up on it so once i got accepted into the school from there i was just trying to get a foot into the door with tyler and just get facetime with the coaches and play pickup with the guys um and just to show them that i could play here and i could be an asset to the team so um it was a little different process for me because some of the other walk-ons have like their dad's friends with a coach or something like that, where they immediately like have a connection with the coaches and they know what their face looks like. And they've been around the program for a while, but for me, I was just a normal kid transferring into Syracuse, just having the hope and dream that I could play for the team one day. So just with Tyler Lydon being my good friend and um, helping me out and putting me into mellow and stuff like that. And just getting in front of the coaches um, and just selling them that I could be a good player for the team and actually help, um, I think was good. So, I mean, I stayed the whole summer here without even knowing that I was going to be on the team just because I was friends with Tyler and I worked out every day with Coach Autry at 7 a.m., went through all the same stuff the whole team did and went through all the lifts and everything. So um, just from that alone, I think they saw that I could be a help to the team. And I think from there they just decided to put me on the team after a long, stressful summer of not knowing whether my future was going to be on the team or not. So that, that was kind of the process of – me getting there. And when you when you look at that process and like you said, going through all of that, 
you know, being a connected with AAU, the Albany City Rocks and and Jim Hart and, and company there and, and yeah. obviously Tyler Lydon, you know, just what that experience was like for you and just what you can say about, you know, your time with the Albany City Rocks, which, you know, is, is no stranger to the show, nor is is Jim Hart. So just what you could say about your time there. Yeah, so, I mean, that was definitely – that got me the foot in the door with recruiting in general. Um, so I got a, a, a lot of – I had a ton of interest. I remember once I started playing City Rocks, I had – like I was getting all the Patriot League and Ivy League schools because I was a good academic student. Um, so I thought I was definitely going to go D1. And I wound up getting hip surgery, which kind of delayed – like kind of put me lower in the ranks of getting that Division One opportunity. So that's why I went D3, but – you know, playing for a team like City Rocks that, that kind of goes with you for the rest of your life um, at that high level, like, you know, Jimmer Fredette, uh, Brandon Trish, guys like that that are all from, like, the Syracuse area, all played for them. So they have a, a good reputation. So just being from that program, I knew it was going to at least help me open some doors, and it got me through the door at Syracuse. So, I mean, forever grateful for people like Jim Hart and, and the program and stuff like that. So definitely a huge help to get me where I am today. Yeah, when you when you had that you know opportunity, like you said, to get your foot through the door, and you know coming from D three and whatnot, I mean, bring, just bring me into that. I mean, you, you got looks. You're at the Albany City Rocks. You go D three. You transfer into Syracuse D one. Just you know what 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 all of that was to you, and to jump from D three to D one because you know that's that's obviously something big in, in your respect. I mean, guys are transferring in and out of D1 back and forth all the time, but you had the opportunity to transfer up two levels and, and have an opportunity at Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely surreal. Like, even the guys that I played D3 with are always texting me, like, bro, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're playing, like, at Syracuse against Michigan State now? So, I mean, like, just to, to go from that level and not play is something crazy. So the fact that I even got a chance to play on this big of a scale this year um, from a D3 school, I mean, it's something to, of a story that someone's never really heard of or even would have thought of throughout this whole year. So, um, I mean, just doing that, I mean, it was definitely a, a transition just from D3 to D1, the, the caliber players um, that I had to go up against, like going from a lot of D3 athletes that are good to Division One athletes that are going to have a chance to play in the NBA. I mean, it was definitely a transition in learning how to, like succeed at this level and play against these type of players was definitely difficult at first, but I mean, I welcomed it and I've done it for two years now and not back down from the challenge. So, I mean, it's definitely been a good ride and I think I've gotten so much better by going from this uh, D3 to this level. So just that alone, I think it's expanded my game and, you know, it's been a great, great journey so far. So, What's it been like in the locker room for you to, to you know, learn from these guys to be around these guys? Like you said, you know, talent that has an opportunity to, you know, play in the NBA someday. You know, this locker room, in my opinion, as far as coming together, there's one thing that I took from, from this season that I, I keep repeating on the show. And that is the fact that this, this group of guys, all of you guys on the 2017-18 Syracuse team, nobody blamed each other for anything. Nobody was ever saying, you know, you know, if 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 Pascal had done this or if I had done this or if this had gone there or we had done that. Nobody ever was backbiting, you know, pissed off. This team didn't do this. Why are these guys not doing this? I told him that he should have been over it there and he wasn't there in time. 
I, I, I mean, I, I heard Frank blame himself. I heard Tyus, you know, say things, O'Shea say things. I mean, it's about their own game and about improving their own game. But, but none of you ever attacked the other person and you just, you just stayed together. You stayed a family. And I I think that that went a, a long way. Just what you can say about that. Yeah. I mean, definitely like the camaraderie of our team is an extremely strong asset for us. Like even when we would lose, like we would, we were still all brothers and best friends at the end of the day. Like, our group chat that we have is always blowing up. Like we're always just talking about something, laughing about something. Like we all are great friends. Like there's not really clicks within the team. We're all kind of in the same group. Like we're, it's just an extremely strong bond that we all have. So just to be a part of that is great. Um, and I, I think a lot of teams don't have that. I think there's a lot of blame and um, not giving credit to players when they do well and stuff like that on other teams. And, I think for this team, we all want to see each other do well. Um, for me personally, when I finally got that little spell of time, um, even against Wake Forest, like my teammates are just so supportive and everyone's just so happy for each other. And the fact that we've been like going through so much this season, like we really, at the end of the day, only have each other. Um, so that, that bond that we share in the locker room and just in general off the court um, is something that helped us throughout the entire season because – you know, that chemistry can't come from anywhere else but from within each other. So um, I think that the fact that we're all so close to each other and would never blame each other, would blame each other first before blaming anyone else on the team, I think that that's really strong credit to what we've done this whole year and brought us to the Sweet 16 by that alone. So that definitely was a huge factor. That come from ba- Braden Bayer here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Braden, to to look at that that opportunity that you got six thirty nine left in the game, Frank Howard fouls out, fouls back to back. You know, a, a possession coming from out of bounds, and he looks like he's got his hands at his sides. They call a foul. He fouls out of the game. Pascal was already in foul trouble. Baramo's already in foul trouble. You know, there's a bunch of guys that they were already kind of faced with that, and Frank ends up fouling out. Howard Washington, who didn't play that much this season, he was out with an injury. There's no backup point guard. There's, you know, very, very, very short bench, and everybody had already been out there that was typically out there. So it comes down to you. They give you an opportunity. You go out there. I made a statement on the show about the fact that uh, an official said to me, Mike Kitts, he said, you know you're a good official when you can officiate a game, walk into the building and nobody knows your name, and walk out of the building and nobody knows. I said, in the respect of Braden. I said, it's something to say when he can walk into the building in Detroit and go out onto the floor and nobody's saying, who's that walk on? Or look at this guy getting beat or he can't play defense or, you know, now that he's in the game, the team's going to struggle and they're going to suffer. You went into that game and seamlessly you went in, you came out and it was very quiet. It was status quo. The defense did what they were supposed to do. Just what you could say about that. Nobody left that building going, oh, my God. You know, they had to put in a walk-on, and it was Brandon, and da-da-da. You went in there, you took care of business, you did what you needed to do, and on the defensive end of the floor, you helped the team to stay the course in the 2-3 zone and take care of business against against Michigan State, who arguably had the best player in the country in Miles Bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely when the opportunity was presented, like, I, I wasn't even thinking Frank picked up the fifth foul. Um, within seconds of picking up the fourth, 
Um, so I wasn't going to be an idiot out there and, and have everyone, you know, kind of say that, uh, that we lost because Frank found out on the walk and had to go in. Like that was motivation in itself to go out there. And if I can, if we can get the win with me out there, then that says a lot. So, um, I knew that when I finally was put out there, there was no time to think, um, and I just had to do what I can do. And I've been doing every single day in practice up until that point. Um, it was kind of like second nature to do the rotations on defense, even on offense. If I got a few more opportunities, like I wasn't going to shy away from the opportunity and uh, look like a deer in the headlights out there. So, I mean, I definitely knew that, that our season was literally on the line and um, it was up to me to try to help us along and win the game. So um, I wasn't going to let everyone kind of think that since a walk-on was out there, we're going to lose and I try to do whatever I can. Um, just to help us win. So, I mean, fortunate enough that we did get the win and no one was blaming me for the loss. So um, it was definitely good to uh, get that win with me being out there just so no one would be saying that. So it was definitely an awesome experience overall. It was an avenge tour, a revenge tour, a proving them wrong tour, whatever you want to call it. Just bring me into this season because you know it, it's funny I, I listen to you guys in, in interviews and I'm talking to you and they're like you know uh, g- people didn't believe in us or are some of our own fans didn't believe in us nobody in the media and this was that and I always I always put my hand on whoever I'm talking to on the shoulder and I go eh, be, be easy on nobody in the media let's be easy <laughs> on nobody in the media but you know uh, you guys felt it from media you felt it from the fan base just what you can say about this season, because I mean, the back was against the wall and they said you couldn't a million times over and you guys didn't care about that at all. Yeah. I mean, we all were hearing that from literally the jump of the season um, after the NIT last year. And then we seemed like a worse team this year. Uh, I, I honestly didn't feel like anyone was really giving us a chance. Um, I, everyone said 15 games. I heard, People were like, oh, if they win 15 games, like, I'll sell my house. Like, people were saying crazy stuff like that. So, um, the fact that we did what we did this year and got to the tournament alone, uh, not even get to the Sweet 16, like, that was icing on the cake. But just the fact that we made the tournament um, with all the naysayers out there not believing and whatever, um, I think is a credit to our team in general. Um, the fact that they didn't care what anyone else thought and, that we went out and took care of business and whatever team we played and didn't care what anyone else said before the game, that after the game we would have just known that we played our best and put our best foot forward. So, um, I mean, it's an amazing thing to do when everyone's doubting and you, you wind up proving them wrong. So it was definitely a historic season in that sense because normally it's, oh, Syracuse is going to be good this year. Um, so this year it was the total opposite and we were good. So it was good to at least prove a lot of people wrong. And when you, when you got to the point of that moment, when they, and you know, I had you guys as an 11 seed play in game in my prediction, and you ended up being an 11 seed play in game. You're waiting. They called you the 68th team of 68. You're waiting to see if you got in. And when you got in, you guys had a celebration that I think would make you know fans that aren't Syracuse fans cry and and get excited and jump up and down their own selves. I mean that celebration being a part of that just bring me into it. And then secondly, who was the best dancer in the celebration? <laughs> um, yeah, that celebration was something incredible. I mean, 
Uh, I don't think too many of us were going in there with high hopes. We were just like, oh my, we were just praying um, that we could hear our name called. We thought, you know, Louisville, Notre Dame were both ahead of us, and they were only saying nine ACC teams. So how were we going to get in front of them? Like, we didn't beat UNC in the ACC tournament, which we thought we would have secured it. Since we didn't, we didn't even think we had a chance. So, I mean, that whole thing, to hear our name called, was something incredible. I remember that was just one of the most amazing moments of my life, just to be a part of that. Like, I lost my voice in 10 seconds of screaming just because we were so excited to, to finally get a chance. And You know, they, they took a chance on us, which they did last year. So we felt like we were in a worse position than we were last year, and we didn't make it last year. So... I mean, the fact that we got in there was just absolutely incredible. And, and then Elijah Hughes, he's a, we, I grew up with him. He's from Beacon, New York. I'm from Poughkeepsie. So we grew up playing local AAU together, and he's the best dancer on the team by far. So he got in the middle and was definitely doing his thing in the middle, what he, he normally does. So uh, he, he definitely takes the cake on who's the best dancer. <laughs> coming from Braden Bayer. Braden, your, your teammates, we talk about the brotherhood and the family aspect of all of this. And there was a, a statement made about you that was, you know, in, in very poor taste. And O'Shea went online and said, Braden can go off for 30. He's a great player. Within <laughs> seconds, he came to your aid and was like, hey, you want to disrespect my guy because what? Because he's a walk-on, because now he's got a scholarship, because you don't usually see him out there. I'm telling you right now, this guy goes out there, he'll take care of business. Well, O'Shea said that, and then weeks later, you went out against Michigan State and played some strong defense and took care of business, had a block, and, and did some good things in the game and, and held them down and held that defense down. So I, I guess first and foremost, O'Shea was right. And secondly, just what you could say about how he immediately came to your aid without you asking him or anybody asking him and said, listen, you better respect Braden. You better respect everybody on this team. Yeah, I mean, that was great. I don't, I don't even have Twitter. I think I do, but I don't even know my password. So I haven't even been able to go on to my Twitter in the last, like, two years. So um, he he texted me the actual, like, tweet that he tweeted and was like, yo, like, people are trying to talk trash, bro. I got you. So just the fact that he did that, I, that was awesome. From You know, like, he could be a lottery pick next year. So him doing that as, like, my brother and my teammate to stand up for – you know, the little bro at the time coming in the game um, was great to see, and I, I was really happy, and I was really appreciative of him doing that. So, that, I mean, that just speaks to the, um, the camaraderie of our team and the brotherhood that we do have because, I mean, we all are literally best friends on the team. So the fact that he did that just, just shows that a little bit out in the public, that um, the relationship that we all have together. But, you know, that, that was great to see him do that and stick up for me there. What what made this team get so close this year? What is it that you're all family, you're all brothers? How did it all happen? I mean, I think it's all, it starts from the summer. Like, I, I've been here the last two summers, spending the whole summer up here. And when Syracuse in the summer, it is an absolute ghost town. Um, so, I mean, we just wake up every single day. We have to work out together. We're all going through this adversity together. It's We don't want to be there. We're tired. It's the summer. Everyone's having fun. And, you know, we're in the gym grinding and, killing ourselves every single day to try to get better. So, I mean, um, it's definitely a grind, and we're all, like, all the scholarship guys are here together every summer. Um, and I think it just starts from there. So um, the fact that we go through that together before the season even starts, 
Um, and then in the season, in the off season, we're always together. We're working out. We're doing everything together. Um, I think that just just makes us come together as a team. So the fact that we're we're forced to be together, but then the fact that we want to be together even when we're not doing practices or anything, um, that just kind of creates the chemistry and, and the bond that we have together. So um, just that adversity and fighting through it together and knowing that we're the only people that got each other's backs is what makes us a good team. So. Bring me in to, to Coach B and what and what he had to say to you, just what your relationship has been like with him. I, I want to go, you know, front end and back end. So the relationship, the conversation that you had when he brought you onto the team, and then the conversation you just had with him helping you to find a job elsewhere from Syracuse. Yeah, so, I mean, he's always been good to me. Like, he, I mean, just by him putting me onto the team, um, I'm forever grateful for him for doing that. Um, but uh, he's, you know, he's a man of little words, so he doesn't, you know, express himself too fully to anyone. Um, so whatever, like he's little things he would say to me throughout the year when I redshirted uh, the first year I was on the team, um, I would always like be like so appreciative to anything he said to me because he's taking the time to talk to me. You know, he doesn't do that to too many people. So I was always like, oh my gosh, like he's coaching me right now. Like this is crazy. Um, so I would always take whatever he said and just really take it to heart and be like, all right, you know, like he'd say something about my jumper or something like that. And I would immediately want to work on it and try to like tell him that I'm up to doing well with it. And, you know, take his criticism and, and use it as my motivation to, to show him that I can be a good player for him. So, um, but yeah, and then this year, obviously, like I had a meeting with him prior to the season and just asked him what my role was going to be. Um, if the scholarship was going to be available, like would I be getting it? Um, and he's always great. We always have good 15-minute meetings. And he's having a 15-minute meeting with a walk-on. Like that's that's good enough for me. So the fact that he's taking the time out of his day to, to speak with me, and obviously he thinks of me as someone that's an asset to the team and deserves his time. So, I mean, just by that alone, and then after the season, um, you know, I had a little bit of good things to say, like not too much, obviously after the Michigan State game, and he congratulated me and just said, like, you know, you stepped up, like, I'm proud, like, good job, stuff like that. Um, and then with this whole grad transfer thing, um, he obviously is going to try to do his best to um, give his recommendation to coaches and try to get me onto a team. So, and again, after the season, we had another 15, 20 individual meeting just about that. So the fact that he's been trying to help me throughout it has been the world of a difference and has been great. So... It's been awesome. So as you look forward here, I want to ask you about your teammates, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett. How long do you think that they stick around? Do you think that they make another run together this coming season? Um, I would hope so. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be really scared next year with the guys that are coming in if they all stay. Um, and I think they will. I think they both see that um, if they're on a, a, an extremely good team and they're both producing good stuff, um, and get stats next year that their draft stock is going to just go through the roof. So I think that the fact that they'll both see that next year's team is going to be extremely good and they could be scary, um, I think they'll both uh, come back and have a good run for next year too. kind of makes me jealous and I won't be a part of it because I think they'll be really good next year. Um, but, yeah, I think I think they'll both see the bigger picture and want to both come back for another year and try to prove themselves and increase their draft stock for next year. Uh, coming from Braden Bayer. Braden, in in the end here, the final conversation of this, I do something on my show, I've been doing it for years, called Rapid Fire. 
I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you that are all, all right. over the place. Are you ready to play? Yep. Let's do it. Favorite song to come out to? If you could pick any song to come out to before a game, what song would it be? Something by Migos, probably like uh, like Walk It, like I Talk It or something like that on their new album. Anything Migos. Favorite dance move? Uh, it's called hit the, hit the Folks. You just kind of like hit the beat drop on everything. It's a new dance of this generation that kind of everyone like dances like that now. And with rap music, every time the beat drops, you kind of, it's just like called Hit the Folks. Funniest player on the team from this season? Um, Elijah Hughes, probably. If not me, I'm probably second. <laughs> okay. What makes you What makes you so funny? You do impressions or what is it? Ad lib? What do you yeah, doing? a little bit. Like we all we all just get on each other. We all just make fun of each other all the time, and you know, just having quick comebacks of like who someone looks like, or just like a, a play on a name or something like that. It's just we all just do that. Me and Elijah are definitely. I would say the best at doing that, just being dumb in the locker room, stuff like that. So, Best Jim Bayheim impression by a player this season? I'll say Matt Moyer. He does it really well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Let me see what else we got here for this. Mm-mm-mm. Let me think here. I want to see. We, we did funniest guy. I want to. Okay, weirdest sense of humor. Uh, Moyer as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. If you could go, this is a three-part question. You can go anywhere in the world. Who do you take that you know? You could take one person you know, one celebrity, and you got to pick the place you're going to. So what celebrity do you take? What person do you know that you know do you take? And then where do you go? Matt Moyer is my best friend on the team. Um, and I'll take Beyonce to the Caribbean, anywhere in the Caribbean. All right, fair enough. Matt Moyer decides that it's time for him to to move on to other pastures. You're moving on. He's moving on. He's your best friend on the team. What can you say about Matt Moyer? Yeah, and we redshirted that first year together. Uh, we got really close because of that. Um, so just based on that, we were just always really close right off the bat. We were here the whole summer together uh, before I was even on the team. Um, and he's just one of my best friends. We just, like, really grew together close. We have similar senses of humor, like, Everyone always sometimes gets annoyed with both me and him in the locker room because we're just always like up and like we'll have a seven a.m. workout. We're both like acting like it's ten o'clock on a on a Saturday night. We're both always like super energy. So me and him we're always just really close right off the bat. So um, it's funny that he's transferring out too, and so am I. And you know we're even talking about trying to go to the same place, like some of the schools that he's talking to. Um, seeing if they have an extra scholarship for me to come in with them as well, um, just because we don't really want to leave each other this soon. And our relationship, we just met each other two years ago, and we're really best friends and brothers for life, so we don't want to have our time come to a close already. So we're, that's already been in the talks of wherever he's looking. I'm trying to reach out and seeing if they're interested in having a grad transfer guard come in from Syracuse as well. So, um, And the fact that I could help him through his redshirt year again would be um, just another great thing where we could just be together all the time again since he wouldn't be playing. So um, so it's a possibility, but I just he's one of my best friends, so I'd love to share another year with him playing on the court. So. What is something that people don't know about Matt Moyer that you know, something that, that sticks out to you that you feel like maybe people don't know? Oh, that he's an absolute goof. Like, he's just like, he looks like, 
you know, big six eight dude, like long, like huge looking guy, and he's an absolute like teddy bear type of guy, like, nicest guy you'll ever meet. Always has a smile on his face. Um, I think people do know a little bit that he has got a great personality and everything, but if you just look at him, he just looks kind of like a big, intimidating-looking dude, and he's just like a big softy, in my opinion. So I think that's funny when you just look at him for the first time. So, If anybody could play you in a movie, what actor would play you? Um, I would love it to be Brad Pitt, but... <laughs> I don't know if he'd be available for it, but okay. that would be great. If if there was a movie made about your your life and your friendship with Matt Moyer, what type of movie would it be? And just kind of bring me into something about the movie. Um, I would say it's something like like a success story of of a, like a Syracuse basketball team. I mean, he redshirted, I redshirted, we we became best friends. We're you know, everyone that has him on Snapchat, he's got a bunch of followers on Snapchat. Know that we're always together. We're always in the, in the hot tub, the cold tub together. We're always, you know, like hanging out at night together, doing whatever together. So I think, you know, like maybe like a success story of like two friends coming to school together, not knowing what to expect. Um, him having a couple breakout games this year. Uh, me having like a, a, a crazy, absolute nuts journey of making it to Syracuse and just something about that and just two friends having a, a good experience at Syracuse before both leaving together. So I think that's kind of funny the way that it worked out for both of us that we both shared two years here together, had an amazing relationship and now we're both leaving at the same year. I think it's kind of funny in that sense. I got two more for you here. If you're walking down the street and you had a sign that was always above your head, it was like a it was like a speech bubble that never went away. What would it say? Hmm. I would think it would say I play basketball because I feel like just normally looking like a a white kid with blonde hair and like I just feel like a lot of people don't would normally like just assume that I play soccer or something like that. So I always like to have people know that I actually play basketball and it's something that no one would ever assume just walking past me in the uh, on the street or something like that. And I always want people to know that like I play like for Syracuse or something like that. It was always, you know, as a walk on, it's always like, I don't look like I'm on the team, but you know, I am at the end of the day. So I always would like to have that <laughs> around instead of like, you know, people in the beginning would always be like, you don't play for Syracuse. Like, what do you mean? You play basketball, like the real team. Like people would say that to me constantly. So, you know, to have that like credibility, like right off the bat, and I wouldn't have to prove it all the time. Um, I think that would be great. And two final questions here. Who is the biggest influence on your life? Uh, definitely my dad. Both my parents, are, they have a great relationship. Just the fact that I grew up with them, like being role models for me. Um, my dad's a financial advisor. Like he just, you know, he's got three kids. We all went to college. We all got great educations. Um, he's just a definite role model in my life. And I strive to make him, him and my mom proud. Um, and anything that I do, so definitely them. And, the, and, dad. and the final question for you, if you could give a, a, a piece of advice to the world right now, if you were standing at a podium and the entire world was listening, what would you say? Um, I would say just based on my story, just, you know, never think that you're overreaching your, your goals. Like uh, the fact that, 
I mean, no one would think it would be possible for someone playing D3 to make it all the way to Syracuse and play against Michigan State and lead them to the Sweet 16. I think that that story alone is something to um, just to think about that, that, you know, you, you can never reach too high for the stars. Um, you can always reach a little bit further and never sell yourself short. So, you know, everyone's been telling me my whole life, couldn't play D1, and then couldn't play college basketball, couldn't play for the City Rocks even, just anything like that. I've been hearing that my whole life. So, I mean, you just always got to trust in yourself and just always have that confidence that you can um, and just always shoot for the stars so, and never think it's um, – out of reach so that's pretty much my motivation and the moral of my story so far up into this point that coming from Braden Bayer Braden you know it was great to have you on the show I look forward to the opportunity of having you back and, and as you go through this recruitment process and figure out what school is is best for you I definitely would like to have you back on the on the show and and maybe have some some Matt Moyer buddy cop stories coming up as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. I'll talk with you soon. All righty. This is a wake-up call. Fast break. Hi, this is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Pennant Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315 315- 487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant.
Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to have you here on the broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show and being a part of Wake Up Call every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I very much appreciate that. And to round out today's show, if you listen are listening in live right now to wrap up today's show, we're going to do a couple things. Yesterday was opening day for baseball, so I'm going to do a quick rundown of how opening day went. The Chicago Cubs got the victory over Miami on the road. Pittsburgh and Detroit was postponed. The Mets got their first win in their first game of the season over the St. Louis Cardinals. The 11-inning game between Baltimore and Minnesota ended Baltimore 3-2 in their favor. Houston beat Texas 4-1. The Yankees atop the Blue Jays 6-1. Tampa Bay Rays over the Boston Red Sox 6-4. The Oakland Athletics over the Los Angeles Angels in 11 innings 6-5. Washington Cincy was postponed. The Braves take down the Phillies 8-5. Milwaukee and San Diego go 12 innings 2-1 for Milwaukee. Chicago White Sox take down Kansas City by scoring double 14-7. San Fran wins a tight one with the Dodgers 1-0. Cleveland wins a tight one with Seattle 2-1, and Arizona and Pat Corbin in his first ever opening day start on the mound has been in the rotation for a while for the Diamondbacks. First start in the major leagues on the mound on opening day coming out of CNS and the North Stars, Pat Corbin taking care of business 8-2, the Arizona Diamondbacks win the game. So in opening day of Major League Baseball for the 2018 season, we had three games going extra innings. Craziness. Three games in extra innings. Pretty awesome. Pretty sweet. Very nice. So, bunch of teams starting off with a win, and the rest of them starting off with a loss so far as we move forward here. Pretty much everybody in action except for those games that were postponed for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Cincinnati Reds, as well as the Washington Nationals and the, I'm missing one team here, the Detroit Tigers. Thank you. So I'm sitting here going, there's four teams that didn't play on opening day because of postponement. So that outside of that, everybody's got a win or a loss as we start things off. Congrats to the winners, and it is a long season, so 162 games. If you lost in week one, doesn't mean anything as you move forward here. And now to wrap up the show, to listen in live now to conversation on Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley, who was a part of this show, has been on the show before. It's, it, it's so crazy how things happen, and that's the thing about Everything being fluid when somebody's like, oh, Dan, is is such and such signed on to Syracuse? Or is he agreed to come to Syracuse? And is he this and is he that? Things are fluid. And even when you think they're not fluid, they're fluid. In the case of Darius Baisley, people thought this was a done deal. You know, he chose Syracuse over all those schools. Georgetown, he really liked. He really liked Syracuse. And it came down to really those two. And ultimately, he chose the orange. He's been committed for a long time. So we move forward and say, okay, so he's committed to the program. Syracuse is excited. The fans are excited. They're amped. They're ready to go. 
and then he goes and plays the McDonald's All-American game, and whatever happened there, you know, talking it over with family and friends, and uh, maybe there were some scouts there, maybe there's some people there that said, hey man, you could go to the G League right now, and and we look at picking you up if you take care of business. Whatever happens, he made the decision to, you know, flip the script and and cause a ruckus and say, Syracuse, I'm not coming to Syracuse. I'm going to the G League. I'm going to the developmental league of the NBA, and I'm going to play there. I'm going to forego my amateur status, and I'm going to automatically get paid to play, and I'm going to hope for the best and hope that I show out at the G League and then get in the 2019 NBA draft and then hopefully get drafted. Isn't that crazy? A turn of events that people did not expect or anticipate. I put a poll up to get your thoughts on this, on on where you were thinking things would happen and where they would go and and whatnot. I found this very interesting. So I want to take I want to take a look at it right now in the poll and see where we're at this morning before we wrap up the show. So let's take a look at this right here. The poll that I put up regarding what your response is to Darius Baisley decommitting from Syracuse basketball to join the NBA G League. Your choices were upset, totally confused, saw it coming, or good for him. 22% of you said good for him. 34% of you said you're upset. 44% of you said that you're totally confused by the move. And in <laughs> and a, a very, very real number of 0% said that they saw this coming. Because going off of what I said, I mean, who saw this coming? Who would have thunk it that Darius Baisley would say, you know what, I'm going to go to the G League. I'm going to go to the G League, and I'm going to get myself out there, and I'm going to play professionally in the States, and then I'm going to hope for the best. Who would have thought that that would ever be an option and that that would ever happen? But yet, here we are, and it is a reality, and it has happened, and this is where we stand. So Darius Baisley is not coming to Syracuse. Darius Baisley is not going to college. He is instead going to play in the G League in hopes of making it to the NBA from there in the draft that would follow in 2019. So this is the story, and this is kind of the rundown. And you can feel free to go and read it on the Right Now page on wakeupcalldt.com titled, The Madness Wasn't Over for Syracuse. It turns out the madness of March was not over for the Orange. Following his participation in the McDonald's All-American game, Darius Baisley decided to take a different route in his basketball career, a route that did not go through Central New York. Baisley, a commit of the Orange for the incoming 2018 recruiting class, went back on his vow to Syracuse in favor of letting his amateur status fly out the door completely. Instead of heading to college, Baisley will bypass higher education for an opportunity in the G League, the National Basketball Association's Developmental League. Following the recent McDonald's All-American game, Baisley will showcase his talents in the Jordan Brand Classic and Nike Hoop Summit, both in April of this year. So there's still more time to see him before he goes to the G League. From there, Baisley will celebrate his 18th birthday in June, which will make him eligible to put his signature on the dotted line for a G League contract and place his name in the G League's upcoming draft in October. So he turns 18 in June, 
Then in September, he can sign a contract with the G League. October, he can get drafted in the G League's draft. No matter who he plays for in the G League initially, no NBA team will hold his rights until he is officially drafted by an NBA squad. So if he's in the G League and he's on a team that's the farm team of the Jazz or the farm team of the Raptors, the Raptors don't own his rights. The Jazz don't own his rights. He plays in the G League as a free agent, so to speak. He comes into the G League as an independent, and then in the 2019 NBA draft, if he gets drafted and then sent back to the G League, then that team would own his rights wherever he goes. So, you know, G League teams have parent teams in the NBA. Him going straight to the G League, he doesn't belong to any parent team. He doesn't belong to any one of the 30 NBA franchises. But once he gets drafted in the NBA, obviously they hold his rights. Syracuse still has Buddy Beheim and Jalen Carey set to join the team as members of the 2018 incoming recruiting class. Returnees for the Orange will be point guards Frank Howard and Howard Washington Jr., shooting guard Tyus Battle, forwards Marek Dolajai and O'Shea Brissett, and centers Pascal Chuku and Barama Sidibe. Guard slash forward Elijah Hughes will also be eligible to play for Syracuse after sitting out the 2017-18 season due to NCAA transfer rules and will have three seasons of eligibility in total, which means Syracuse will have 10 players without Darius Baisley. They have Frank Howard and Howard Washington, like I said, Tyus Battle, Marek Dolajai, O'Shea Brissett, Pascal Chukru, Chuku, pardon me, Brahma Sidibe, Elijah Hughes, that's your eight. And then you bring on Buddy Bayheim and Jalen Carey. So they will have more opportunities and they can put a scholarship out there if they would like to. But as it stands right now, they're going to have 10 players on the team. And we anticipate that, you know, everything goes well with Barama's, you know, potential surgery and rehab and all that, that he'll be, he'll be back. Pascal will be back. Elijah will be playing. Marek will be playing, O'Shea will be playing, Tyus will be playing, Frank will be playing, and Howard will see, you know, where where Jim kind of sees him moving forward because he wasn't given a lot of time this year. And then Buddy, you anticipate that Buddy will be out there because I don't think Beheim would put his child on the team if he didn't think his child was good enough to be out there and have some quality minutes. And then Jalen Carey. So, you know, th- this is a team that already has 10. So for everybody freaking out and you know, going crazy and saying, oh my God, the season is over and we can't catch a break and yada, yada. You know, Syracuse went from having 10 guys, from having 11 guys to having 10. So, you know, it's just, it happens. Torian Thompson left the team last year before the season started. You know, these things happen. It's, they're unfortunate. I know that Syracuse fans kind of feel like, they didn't rub the rabbit's foot before, you know, going into the offseason the last two years, and I get that. But at the same time, what's meant to be is meant to be. And, you know, this team this year had five and a half, six guys, and look at what they did. So, you know, and Matt Moyer and Braden Bayer, I mean, they're they're leaving the team and moving forward. You gotta think about this for from their perspective. Cause some people said, well, you know, would Matt Moyer come back? There's already going to be 10 guys on the team that could all see minutes. So I don't see anywhere that Matt Moyer would fit in if he's already not getting those minutes. So, and Baisley was going to take minutes away from somebody. You know what I mean? So, I mean, in all honesty, 
yeah, it's sad and people are upset and understandably so. But at the same time, it's not that Syracuse is not going to have the opportunity to potentially have five starters and then another five come off the bench. That's still in the realm of possibilities. So before people freak out and before they go crazy, just understand that Syracuse has 10 players on scholarship for next season and it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? It's going to be okay. It's going to, it's going to be all right. And now they have an opportunity. If they want to go out and look elsewhere, they can go out and look elsewhere. You know, if they really feel the need to do it, then they could potentially go out and do it, which isn't, you know, a bad thing to do. At least, at least see if, if anybody is interested in, in anything, you know, can happen here. There's guys transferring every five seconds in NCAA college basketball. So, you know, why not throw your name out there and see what they say? See if they are interested in playing for the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team and then go from there. But, you know, to the people that are that are terrified that, you know, not having Baisley is going to certify that this season is going to suck for the Orange, apparently you didn't watch any of this season. You didn't watch any of the current season because this was gonna this was supposed to be the season where Syracuse just completely fell off the map and lost complete control, right? That was the notion, and they didn't. So, you know, before people think that Syracuse is going to be horrible, pump your brakes a little bit and remember that there was not high hopes for Syracuse this year, and look at what they did. Sweet 16, and what did I tell you? What did I tell you? 20-plus wins and a Sweet 16 are what Syracuse fans have come to expect because Syracuse fans are spoiled. And I don't mean that in a derogatory negative way, but Syracuse fan, I mean, think about it. If you're a Syracuse fan, you're spoiled in the sense of you think if we don't make it to the Sweet 16, it wasn't a good season. If we don't get to 20 wins, it wasn't a good season. If we don't get in the NCAA tournament, it wasn't a good season. When this team has consistently, I mean, you look at every decade that Bayheim's coached, they made it to the Final Four. They made it to two Final Fours in three years. They made it to the Sweet 16 this year after being in the NIT last year. And they always bounce back from the NIT. So, you know, Syracuse fans have come to expect a lot of this team. And on a team that they didn't expect a lot of, they got you right back to where you wanted to be. 20-plus wins and a Sweet 16 berth. They made it to where you expect every single year on a year that you didn't expect the team to do that much. And now you're adding more talent. I don't think O'Shea is going anywhere. And I don't really think Tyus Battle's going anywhere unless something drastically changes. So you're going to have depth at shooting guard. You're going to have depth at point guard. You're going to have a guy that can kind of rover and be all over the place, and Elijah Hughes potentially is a guard and a forward. You're going to have Marak back at the front court. You're going to have O'Shea in the front court, and you're going to have your two centers. So I don't think Syracuse is in crisis mode. It's just a, a huge turn of events that – Nobody's really ever dealt with before. Like, what do you mean he's going to the G League? You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like seeing your girlfriend and, and knowing she's beautiful. And then she goes out and is like a part of an event. And all these people are like, oh my God, she's gorgeous. She's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's like the McDonald's All-American game. And then you're like, yeah, she is beautiful. She is gorgeous. And then she's like, mm, you know what? I think I'm going to date somebody else. And you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what's going on? I knew you were beautiful. Now they know you're beautiful. And you got a little bit of publicity and, 
And, you know, you got some people, you know, giving you compliments and now all of a sudden, bye-bye. You know, that's what it feels like to Syracuse. But ultimately, there's 10 guys coming to Syracuse at this point. There's 10 guys either there or all not 10 guys coming. There's 10 guys altogether with what's coming in, what is already on campus. There's 10 guys. So yes, it stinks, but at the same time, Syracuse is going to have more depth this year than they had the, this coming year than they had this past season. They're going to have way more than what people, you know, saw that they had this year. They're going to go from five and a half guys to 10. They're doubling what they have, and they made it to the Sweet 16. So, pump your brakes if you're in crisis mode thinking that the season's already over. And let them kind of sift through the madness here. Nobody expected this. And, unfortunately, when this stuff happens, as late as it happens, it puts teams like Syracuse in a bind. But, see, this is it's twofold. If you're a coach and you leave a school in the 11th hour, you screw the players over. When you're a player and you decide you're not going to go to that school in the 11th hour, you screw the coach and the school over. So, you know, it's back and forth. People can say, well, you know, coaches leave all the time and leave people high and dry. And with football, you know, you feel that a lot more. And it's like, well, I came here to play for this coach and I came here to be a part of his program or her program and now they're gone. What am I supposed to do? And in the same respect, Syracuse saying, okay, well, we closed the doors on our recruitment. We didn't push for this guy. We didn't push for that guy. We put our eggs in this basket, and now the basket got tipped over and all the eggs are broken. What are we supposed to do? So unfortunately, whether it happens this way or that way, it's not fun for anybody. But at the same time, I hope nothing but the best for Darius Baisley in his career and in what he desires and in what he wants. And if anybody's going out there putting out hate language to anyone, including Darius Baisley, you need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. Because this kid is doing what he wants to do in his life that he is the owner and the keeper of. And you don't have a right. Don't tell me First Amendment BS. You don't have a right to come and attack that kid and hate on that kid because he wants to live his life the way that he sees fit. So leave him alone. To the people that that are being ridiculous on this kid, leave him alone because he doesn't deserve it. And I'm not going to stand here for it. I'm not saying that Syracuse fans should be happy that he's leaving, but don't send him hate mail. Don't send him hate mail. You could be upset. It can bother you. But at the same time, we don't know what he would have been at Syracuse. What if he came to Syracuse and flopped? You know what I mean? So it's like people are crying over spilled milk, but they don't even know if the milk was bad or not. They didn't even check the date on the milk. So we don't know what he's going to turn into and what Darius Baisley is going to be. No matter what you do and how much film you watch and this, that, and the other, you're always rolling the dice. People thought Ryan Leaf was going to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback. People thought Jamarcus Russell was going to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback. People hate on Tim Tebow, but he did better in the NFL than Jamarcus Russell. So at the end of the day, you could prognosticate all you want. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. It's just a thought. It's just an analysis. So to the people freaking out that, oh my God, 
you know, Syracuse lost Darius Baisley. How am I going to sleep at night? You don't even know what he would have been at Syracuse. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm saying to you, you don't know what would have happened. What if he didn't gel with Jim Beheim? What if he didn't gel with the team? What if he took time away from guys and it, and it affected the psyche? What if he came in with a big ego? What if he didn't pass the ball? What if he wasn't a team player? What if he didn't move well in the zone? What if he didn't play defense? Torian Thompson was a good offensive player, didn't play a lick of defense. So people are freaking out when Torian Thompson left, but you know what? Everybody else on the team played better defense, including Braden Bayer, than that gentleman ever did. So... I don't, I don't ever look at the scenario and say, okay, you know, you should jump off a cliff because nothing is worthy of that. Just give it some time. Let it marinate. Let's see what happens. And we'll go from there. This has been Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Make sure you become a member of both for free and go to Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT. A happy Easter to all, a happy life to everyone, and a God bless. Be good to yourself and be good to one another. And I'll talk with you on Monday morning at 9 a.m.